This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Friday, January 6th. You're locked into Real Talk. Thanks for the download. Thanks for the stream. Thanks for checking it out. It's Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks with you. Sapria Devetti in just a moment. And then the other guys, our Real Talk Roundtable presented today by Urban Timber. Uh, three political parties out of our neck of the woods, three Alberta-based political party leaders not named Danielle Smith or Rachel Notley. Jivan uh, Mangat, Barry Morishita, and Jordan Wilkie are going to be trying to grab your attention between now and May when Albertans next go to the polls. The leaders of the Wild Rose Independence Party, the Alberta Party, and the Green Party of Alberta, respectively, are going to join us for a half hour of what we expect to be a candid conversation about the issues that matter most to them and the message that they're hoping will resonate with Alberta's uh, more than four and a half million citizens. Most importantly, those who are open to maybe casting a ballot to maybe voting for a party that they haven't voted for before or a party outside of what's being described as that two horse race should be a great conversation. We'll wrap up the show today with trash talk. It's a response from an audience member to a segment that we had earlier this week. We love the engagement, uh, and it's not too late, by the way. If you're watching this live, it's, it's it's just after 8.30 Mountain Time on Friday. You can always submit a trash talk during the show. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. I do, full disclosure, I do check our inbox just before we roll in hot to trash talk, Johnny, and that's coming up about an hour from now. Yeah. Did you watch the World Juniors last night, Canada taking on Czechia? Uh, I didn't watch it live. I, uh, I, I, I kept up to date on that uh, news site that is so... Vastly used and Are you trusted. Yes, I'm talking about Twitter. Okay, good stuff. Well, I, I guess it, do I say spoiler alert? If you if you if you if you PVR'd the game and you haven't watched it, it's all over the place. The results are all over the place. We but, won. But here's our spoiler alert: Canada won, but they won in overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Close wasn't game. A, a trouncing. This mm-hmm. wasn't something that they just walked away with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Czechs, of course, had beat Canada in the round robin, and they pushed them all the way into overtime with a two goal rally in the third period. But ultimately, Connor Bedard and his uh, fellow Canadian stars walking away with the second gold medal in uh, in two years for Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. I'm curious to check in with Sapria. Number one, did she watch the game? Number two, uh, in the context of the scandal that Hockey mm-hmm. Canada is dealing with, do you think that, I mean, you didn't hear a lot of talk about it. Obviously, you hear no talk about it on the broadcast. There was nobody alluding to it. There was nobody getting into it. But it was looming. It, of course, it hangs over it. Mm-hmm. The brand itself, the logo, I think is is, uh, is obviously for a lot of people representing two different things right now. The scandal and the background and the culture of hockey, as well as, of course, Team Canada, people's people's patriotism, people's pride. Pe- people are fans of the game of hockey, including us. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of that interesting, complicated situation. Did did the scandal overshadow the tournament in any way? My initial inclination is no. And does the win, the hype, the fervor, do something uh, to the minds of Canadians? Does it push the scandal further back? Does it create some distance 
uh, between the scandal and the present day of Hockey Canada, you know, under new management. So reads the sign that we see in front of businesses and restaurants and things like that. Curious to know what Sapria is going to say. And then, of course, we're not going to ignore this story. Uh, do, do we call him controversial psychologist? He's an author. Yeah. Jordan Peterson, University of Toronto professor. Um, I don't know what the, the College of Psychologists of Ontario is getting into on this one, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, we're kind of um, we're, we're split on this. Well, well, I don't know if I don't mm-hmm. know if we're split on it. I would just uh, basically here's like the the two sentence background is that the licensing body for the the college as you'd refer to it and there's there's colleges for teachers and and physicians and psychologists and many different practitioners professional practitioners in different jurisdictions around the world including in Canada based on provinces and territories and the regulatory body the college of of psychologists in Ontario has essentially threatened Jordan Peterson uh, mm-hmm. with with uh, losing his license, losing his license to practice unless he commits to re-education around social media. And uh, we'll get into it with Sapria. Pierre Poliev, the conservative leader, has chimed in on this. Uh, no surprise for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the college, in laying out exactly why it's taking these steps, has identified what it deems to have been problematic tweets from Peterson. Yeah. And one of them is him retweeting Pierre Poliev. So this is publicity on a silver platter mm-hmm. for the leader of Canada's conservatives. And quite frankly, Peterson, who you know not for a second, would consider re-educating himself through the college's resources <laughs> on social media. No. Like anyone at the College of Psychologists is going to teach Jordan Peterson about social media. No. I just checked with his 3.6 million Twitter followers, his YouTube views that receive million, or his YouTube posts, millions of views, every single one of them. Like this guy, this is red meat, pun intended, red meat on a platter. For Jordan Peterson, there's no way he's going to go with this. He said that he'll challenge it in court, and I think that this is one that's going to blow up in a big way in the face of the college. What do you think? Well, well, didn't they know that when they were like, okay, we're going to call him in for retraining? I like, almost wonder if they didn't. He's not going to do it. Like, but I, I don't know. Like, I think you know, educational bodies, colleges, universities, shouldn't they be allowed to call back their educators and and retrain them and get them up to speed in this? day and age well you might argue I it's part yes. of their mandate it's part of their job yeah. and, in a way and but d- is the government does the government have a hand in this i don't it's think not that this is about body. government pierre polyev no. makes a comment in his video and we'll share a bit of it with you if you haven't yet heard it we've we've pulled what i think it's about two and a half minutes we've pulled like 45 seconds of it uh and he does reference the government because of course you know that that from a political standpoint, if you're in opposition, it makes sense to lay this at the feet of Justin Trudeau or at the feet of big government. But that's not the case. That doesn't make sense. That's not accurate. So let's not get off on these red herrings. Let's not take these off ramps and take our focus away from where it needs to be. I do think that regulatory bodies need to regulate. I think that they need to oversee their membership. I think they need to maintain their reputations, their credibility. Of course, number one, though, Uh, Are Jordan Peterson's social media posts, the ones that have been referenced, like grievous? Are they grievous? I mean, like, here's one. Brian Lilly reporting on this in the Toronto Sun. Feel how you do about Brian Lilly. It's fine. It doesn't really matter. But but he presents some of the tweets. Here's one of them. Uh, Jordan Peterson quote tweeting Ben Shapiro, the the, the popular and controversial and divisive American right wing commentator. Uh, Shapiro's talking about cloth masks and, and how he believes that they're ineffective. And he points out that the vaccinated can spread and get covid. And, and Dr. Peterson quote tweets him and says, enough already. Time to stop. 
He says, stop the masks, stop the lockdowns. Uh, this is this is from about a year ago. This is from New Year's Eve of 21. He says, stop the petty power mad hysteria. Leave people alone. Let them get on with their lives. That's Jordan Peterson sharing his opinion on this. And he quoted uh, Pierre Poliev in a similar tweet about COVID-19. And he talked about masks. Mm-hmm. And so it comes down here to, to, to Jordan Peterson, whether or not he has violated the terms or, or, or compromised the credibility of the college. Sure. And whether or not he presents a danger, poses a danger to people who may be counseled by him. I doubt that this. I mean, does it even matter if Jordan Peterson loses his license as a psychologist? Like, does, does Jordan Peterson care at all? About his status, his tenure at the University of Toronto, would any of this matter to him? Do we think that, I mean, if it all comes down to money, Jordan Peterson is filthy, stinking rich. Of course. Based on his Patreon and his YouTube and his book sales. He doesn't need to teach. He doesn't need to teach. He doesn't need to do any of this. The high profile nature of, of this, of what the Ontario College has bitten off and is now has a mouthful of, I think, is a gold mine mm-hmm. for Jordan Peterson, and it will only seek to solidify and embolden his base. This works in his favor. Of course it does. I wonder what Sapria Devetti has to say on this if uh, McGill University called her back for us. Ooh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't see Sapria pushing out a lot of anti-mask content, but, but, but again. Profanity, the profanity, but, but, Sapria. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell by the way you're saying this that she's ready to go. She's in the bullpen, locked and loaded. Before we get to Sapria, I want to let you know that the conversation you're about to hear is presented by our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. Uh, I tell you, every time I mentioned Grand Dog Essentials that the biggest endorsement uh, is the simple fact that we feed our dogs, our furry four-legged family members, Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. Why? Because the price is right, the quality is second to none, and because we've seen the health benefits pay off. You can join their mailing list at granddog.ca. That's also where you can shop their complete lineup. They've got food for cats as well, by the way, and you don't have to necessarily be going fully raw right now. Maybe you're just looking to integrate raw into a a kibble diet. Maybe you want to watch and see. We know everybody cares about their animals deeply. You want to make sure you're making the right move. You can check out their frequently asked questions and I'll tell you based on personal experience, this family owned business, the Monsima family, happy to answer your questions and work with you to find an approach that works. Oh yeah. And they deliver to your door. If you live in Calgary, Edmonton or central Alberta, 10% off with the promo code real talk. You can place your order today at granddog.ca. I mentioned California closets yesterday, and I know a few of you, your ears perked up because you sent us emails. You said, is is there like a garage makeover contest? It's coming up on Real Talk in 2023. We're really excited to be partnering up with California closets. They have an entire garage division. I mean, maybe you want the basic organization or, or, or maybe you want the most stunning garage. You want to be the envy of all your friends. They can go from, you know, modest all the way up to the Taj Mahal, or as my brother calls his, the Garage Mahal. I love that. And then, of course, inside your home as well, like we did years ago, uh, hiring California closets to come and get you organized and elevate the aesthetic of your living space. Nobody does it like California closets. You can find them online at California Closets. Athabasca University knows that this is the time of year a lot of people are really keen on plotting the course 
for a successful new year. You're starting to think about maybe going back to school, maybe learning something, maybe preparing yourself for a new career, but you're starting to think about the commute and the time commitment and the schedule. This is where Athabasca University is is quite likely your best option. It is for tens of thousands of Canadians who love the fact that they have the flexibility to learn at their own pace on a schedule that suits their lifestyle. Check out AthabascaU.ca. You can learn more about the programs and courses. You can take a run through the admissions process and see how it goes and learn a little bit more about how AU works. Just follow the drop-down menu at AthabascaU.ca. Sapria Devetti joins us every Friday here on the show. Of course, the star of the Seriously Podcast out every Wednesday at seriouslypod.com and a wonderful friend of the show. It's nice to see you. I, I, I don't know that I know the answer, but did you happen to watch the World Junior, the gold medal game last night, Canada and the Czechs? I did not actually at all. And it wasn't like something that I had like done out of, I don't know, like I wasn't like planning not to watch it or anything. I just didn't end up watching it. And I've been kind of tapped out for the whole tournament, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Does it have something to do with the Hockey Canada scandal or not at all? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, And I don't know if it's like in my mind, it's a direct link, but it's just I'm not feeling very hockeyish these mm. days. Yeah, that's um, cool. Just just generally, like I've not really watching the Habs either. Like normally, like my husband will watch and I'll like, you know, at least watch the third period or whatever for the most part. I never like to watch a whole game. I just feel like it's a waste of time, if I'm yeah. being honest. Um, but uh, the, uh, yeah, and I just, I don't know, I just sort of tapped out of the whole thing. I was asking Johnny whether or not he thinks that the, you know, the the scandal surrounding Hockey Canada was was that something that interfered with some people's participation in or involvement with or fandom around the World Junior Tournament? And conversely, does Canada's win and the hype around that and the excitement around back-to-back gold medals do something to push the scandal back to the rear corners of people's memories? Does it take it off the radar of a lot of people? The, the present-day iteration of this team winning and and people feeling that you know waving the flags and feeling the patriotism and everything that comes with it what do you think it does big picture to to everything else that this organization is grappling with right now look i mean i think people can hold two simultaneous thoughts in their head at any given point right so i think you're allowed to feel proud of you know what these young men have have achieved um and you know what it means to you sentimentally also just in terms of like the patriotic sense of it i like i get all of that um and you can also simultaneously you know be somewhat disappointed in the way hockey leadership and organizations all over the country um have been dealing with this issue um you know it's it's rampant um in terms of uh, you know, I, when we're talking about rape culture or toxic masculinity, that sort of thing is rampant in hockey culture. And it's uh, I don't know, we've been putting our heads in the sand uh, for too long and now everything has come to the fore. And I think it's messy and I think it's complicated because hockey is so fucking intertwined with our national identity. Right. Yeah. I mean, hockey almost is the national identity yeah. for a lot of people. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I'm 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 one of the like just, you know, to, to lay my cards on the table. I, I feel both. Um, I'm, I'm appalled at the, the revelations and it's not just the 2018 team and, and the allegations of that, of that group sex assault, but also the 2003 team is facing some pretty horrific allegations yeah. as well. And it's got people talking about hockey culture in general. And I think that uh, a person that's being, uh, honest with themselves and with others would acknowledge that in sport and historically through hockey, there have been very problematic elements to the culture that demand to be addressed and, and the sport itself 
itself is moving toward the everybody can play movement and, and celebrating more women in sport and more disabled athletes and more athletes of color and all these types of things. And I think that's wonderful. And I celebrate that and support that, obviously. And also, it's great to see young players have an opportunity to compete on an international stage. And it's great to see your country excel on an international stage. And, and, and it feels complicated. Like, this is kind of a small thing or maybe a weird thing to mention. Or maybe it's a big thing. But, like, I didn't wear my jersey this year for the first time in a long time. But also, I watched. Yeah. So, so am I? Am I lukewarm? Am I part of the problem? I don't know. It's an honest question. No, no, no. I, I mean, look. I think part. I think a big part of the problem, actually, if we want to get into it, is the fact that we haven't really seen a ton of um, hockey big shots, big name athletes come out and really speak out against this sort of mm. thing um, in the aftermath of this. So it's like the culture of com of being complicit or being silent or the, the you know, head sand sticking that I referred to earlier, um, that's coming from stars. It's coming from coaches. It's coming from, uh, you know, the, the leadership at these organizations. And I think that's r really part of the fucked up nature of a lot of this is that, you know, this has come to the fore. We are supposed to be talking about it and we are talking about it to a degree, but except the wrong, it's not that the wrong people are talking about it, but it's like the people that matter most aren't really talking about it. Um, yeah. And the culture is not going to change unless like the people embedded within it actually make that effort. Right. Yeah. I, I get the sense that it's one of those things. It's one of those situations, scenarios, stories that high profile people don't want to become involved with unless they get dragged into it. Like, I feel like yeah, there's a lot a of people thing. steering yeah, yeah. clear. Yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, there's stories in the NHL right now. Everyone's trying to figure out, like, who's player one in all these allegations in this statement of claim. And now, you know, we, we understand that police are reopening the investigation. We talked to Robin Doolittle about this a while ago. She's done great reporting oh, on it. Such great reporting. And she's yeah. a rock star. She's great. And uh, and uh, but but like there's you know, there's a there's a prominent NHL player, young NHL player that's not with his club right now. And his club has released him to play somewhere else in Europe. And he was on the 2018 team and people are starting to draw Aww. lines and put things yeah. together. But nobody seems to be talking about it and and I understand there's due process and I understand there's liability issues and things like that but but I do think you're right there's a lot of people that could say something uh, that right now feel like unless they're absolutely compelled to or forced to they're not going to well and look and if they actually cared they would and so they don't care hmm Let's get to this. Uh, I think you just summed it up. So I think there's no reason to, for me to keep going on that one. You saw it. I know you, you just saw because it was basically just released. This video from Pierre Poliev, Canada's conservative leader. We'll get to that in just a second. Here's the context, the background. I mean, the New York Post is writing about it. This is an international story. I saw the Wall Street Journal, the editorial board pushed out something on it as well. A prominent and controversial Canadian. I mean, we call him a psychologist, but m more relevant. He's a, he's a commentator. He's an author. He's a public speaker but yeah he's a psychologist a U of T professor Jordan Peterson could lose his license from the College of Psychologists of Ontario if he refuses what they're describing as social media re-education for comments he made on the Joe Rogan podcast for tweets that he's pushed out including replying to Ben Shapiro and Pierre Poliev himself so here's what Canada's conservative leader had to say about it freedom of speech only matters when you disagree. I mean, if we all agreed, we wouldn't need freedom of speech because no one has ever tried to censor someone for saying something that they agree with. Uh, it is only when there is a disagreement that it matters. And that's what distinguishes Canada, a free country, from dictatorships. Dictators don't censor things their citizens say that the dictator agrees with, only things they disagree with. Here in Canada, though, 
Unfortunately, through the cancel culture and the woke movement we've seen at university campuses and um, in the media and now increasingly in big, powerful corporations, and most recently with a professional licensing body, we're seeing the idea that someone can lose their job, their status, their ability to study because they express something that is contrary to the government line. Now, I don't believe that is the Canada we want. He's not wrong. Hmm? He's not wrong. Your response. Uh, I don't know. Go, 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 go. Okay. So (laughs) I jotted down, I don't know if Johnny noticed, but as I was in the bullpen, uh, I jotted down a few like quick thoughts here. Um, So number one, uh, it's that the video, I love the dramatic music in the background. You know, he's walking, he's doing it, but he does seem a little out of breath as he's walking. So like he may want to put in regular cardio into his routine there. Maybe he's doing this Um, after his cardio. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's possible. Um, The other thing I will say is that professional licensing bodies have existed for quite some time. This issue didn't just fucking crop up out of nowhere because of woke leftist campus culture. Um, Like people get kicked out of their uh, professional organizations. I wouldn't say regularly, but I mean, it happens on enough of a basis that these, you know, regular regulatory bodies exist. And I mean, to give one example um, that we were all told, uh, I'm pretty sure like everyone who went to a law school in Quebec has been told this story, but like there was, it's like legendary now that this one guy um, was kicked out of the Bahuts Quebec because he peed in an alleyway on a cop car without knowing it was a cop car or something. And he got kicked out of the Bajo because it was like bringing the professional, the profession or the professional order into disrepute. Like that was like the catch all um, clause or, or, you know, the, the, the section of the, sure. of the, of the order that, the, that they got him on. And so, you know, there are lots of people um, that get kicked out. Jordan Peterson is certainly not the first, nor is he certainly the last. Um, and he's not even really getting kicked out, right? They are giving him an option. Comms wise, I don't know. I would call it social media re-education. Um, I would probably call it something else, but that, you know, is just, that's my take on that. Um, I, I don't know. Like, do you want me to keep going? Like, Well, I, well I'm, I'm, first of all, I mean, <laughs> I, I have a million questions. I love that you yeah. provided some background to it, but like, What's the college thinking? It, I mean, it, it, to the me, it feels thinking like thinking is like that he's bringing the profession into disrepute, which like, you know, you could make an argument for um, he, he's his main. You know, you guys were talking about it in, in the intro, like his main source of income cannot be his practice. Not even close, like not even close, not even close. Right. So he, he they can't claim he can't claim that this is like going to be like a huge pecuniary or monetary hit to, to, to himself. Um, I understand fighting it on principle. Of course, he, sh- he should fight it on principle. I think anybody who is being uh, threatened or censured by their professional body or if an employer is telling you to take down a tweet, like see what you can do within the confines of your contractual obligations to your employer. Right. Like that's just a general thing to do. I mean, I don't know about you, Ryan, like but I've been told to take down tweets before in the past um, by bosses and I I don't think I ever have, actually. I Really? You refused? Pushed, yeah, I, I pushed back. Yeah. Did you, how case. far? Can, um, can you tell us a story, will you? Would, would you tell us do, Would you tell us about a tweet? And would you tell us about what you did about it and what the repercussions were based on your action or yeah, inaction? Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. Yeah. I'll um, tell you one, too. I'll, we'll go one for one. Okay. So I'll give you a recent-ish one. Um, it was when I was still in radio. 
And there was a column that was put out by the now um, premier of Alberta, then, uh, you know, colleague at, at Chorus that was just riddled with all sorts of factual errors about the UN Global Compact on Migration. And there were a lot of people on the news side of the, uh, you know, of the of the company um, that were messaging each other back and forth about how riddled with errors this piece was and that it was embarrassing that it wasn't like seen by an editor before it was posted. Um, and like this was also, you know, a common sort of dynamic that would that would happen often. Um, and I tweeted something to the effect of I don't remember the exact tweet, but it's something to the effect of kind of embarrassing that this piece went up, um, given how many errors there are in it. And uh, it went up, whatever. It got picked up. Like people started retweeting it right away. Um, and like I, the I but prior to this, I had actually emailed um, a couple of the editors that I knew, and I was like, "Hey, just here. Like she says this. Here's the reason for why it's wrong. She says this. Here's the reason for why it's wrong. I get that it's an opinion piece, but like you can't say that the motion to condemn Islamophobia was a bill." that was going to criminalize any criticism of Islam, because that is just factually incorrect, right? That is demonstrably wrong. Um, and that's not an opinion. Um, and so whatever, they ended up correcting that part. Um, but my, you know, boss at the time, my station manager was like, take down the tweet. And I'm like, I'm not going to fucking take down the tweet. First of all, it's already up. People have already retweeted it. You're just going to call attention to the fact that I've now taken it down. Yep. Um, and, you know, the optics of you're telling the brown, the only brown radio host at your station to take down a tweet that was, you know, calling attention to the fact that, like, there's a lot of disinformation that targets um, Muslims and other already very vulnerable populations, which leads to a direct increase in her fucking hate mail um, probably isn't the best look. Uh, and, you know, he eventually let it go. Yeah. Uh, mine was uh, I was uh, I endorsed my pillow. For several yeah, years, yeah, we all did. We yeah. all fucking did. Did yeah, you? Did you endorsed it too, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, did I you had ever to. I had law school it? debt. No. Now I had to pay it off. Yeah, yeah. But, and, yeah. And, and and like people, like I'll I will say they're actually great pillows. It's just the company is founded by and run by a complete yeah. fucking lunatic. I just uh, remember hearing the commercials. Remember, I texted you once. Yeah, and was you, like, are you, they really that good? And, and I was like, like yeah, they, they are. They are actually really good pillows. Yeah. But the, 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 I digress. That's not the. That's not the the. So what matters is that. Um, the CEO, Mike Lindell, the founder of MyPillow, has like just gone totally off the deep end. And yeah. he, he has or had has, I think, present tense. He has a remarkable story. Like he was addicted to meth. He was like his life was like a, a total disaster. He got on the straight and narrow uh, for him. I think a big part of that was religion. Uh, yeah. and, and then he and then he sort of like came up with this proprietary you know, way of making pillows and it just totally took off. And all of a sudden he was worth like tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and uh, and so it was just like a compelling story. The pillows were good. I was proud to endorse them. And then he started really like sort of using his his CEO's desk as a pulpit and in particular really supporting uh, American President Donald Trump. And uh, like, let me say, on one hand, I have hosted events for had business relationships with maintained friendships with people with different political views uh like political views to me unless they're obscene and extreme have never been a, a precursor sharing a political belief a precursor for friendship but it started getting to the point where where both trump's behavior and performance in the white house was outrageous and mike lindell's support of him was was crazy and uh i just wasn't happy to to endorse the product anymore and sapria i don't know if you've been in a position like this but people started tagging me 
opinion posts. Like Lindell would yeah. say something, and they'd be like, "Ryan Jesperson, what do you think about this?" And and it got to the point where I was like, I, "This, I'm not, I'm not into this anymore. I don't care. It's not just about the pillows anymore. It's not just about the money." And so I dumped yeah. the endorsement. I exercised my right to do it in the contract. I let the radio station know they want it. It was a big ad buy. I don't think it's proprietary secret. To, uh, to, like it was a million. It was a multi-million dollar national ad buy with Chorus. And so they came back to me and basically said, like, give us some time. Like, give us a couple of weeks to find a new person to endorse. And I said, no, like, you don't have my permission to use my voice on any more of these ads. Yeah. Right. And, and then and then I tweeted. I have I said I, I have uh, canceled my endorsement with my pillow effective immediately. Principal over profit. Yeah. And uh, and then I laced up my skates and I went to play. <laughs> I went to play Wednesday hockey and I got off the ice 90 minutes later and the tweet had 3000 retweets and about 10,000 likes. And I had missed about 11 phone calls from my boss at the time. And uh, so I called him back, you know, still wearing all my hockey gear. And I said, what's up? And he said, pull down the tweet. And I said, well, I'm not pulling down the tweet. And he said, pull down the tweet or you're fired. And I said, all right, I'll pull down the tweet. <laughs> and um, number one, the tweet had done its work. Like yeah, everyone had already seen it. Um, and number two, they ended up firing me anyway. Um, and, I, and I don't know if maybe that was probably part of it, part of the resentment. But that was one where I said, I'm not pulling it down. He said, do it or you're fired. And I said, OK, I'll do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was my story. So I don't know. To me, it's just like how, how this reflects on the Ontario College. I mean, there will be people that applaud oh, it. Uh, oh, Ontario College. That's a big part of this. This Go. is a provincial issue. Okay. So now D Doug Ford has been dragged into this debate, has sure. he not? Sure. If Pierre's making a big deal of this, so what's he really saying is, yo, Dougie, get mm. on it. Mm. Because this isn't a Trudeau thing. This isn't a federal thing. He's this a, is a provincial thing. Polyev tried to, like I said, it was just a little, no, it was just a little word that he dropped in there. And I don't blame him because he's opposition leader and he wants to be prime minister. But he did describe it as a, as, as a, he, he leads people to believe that this is a government body and it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's really, really not. And I mean, the charter, by the way, you know, doesn't protect you, doesn't protect your fucking tweets. Um, mm. It protects your speech from the government intrusion, right? It doesn't protect you from a professional body or your employer being like, yo, take that tweet down um, or whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah. And also, can I just say, like, <laughs> I know we're running out of time here, but like, Pierre, just like, what was it? October, November? When, when was it that, that when it was found that he, for the last four years, had been secretly tagging all of his YouTube videos with MGTOW? Sure. Um, so like he's going to like that. Th doesn't this just call attention to that? Like coming out, defending the patron state of incels here. And uh, like, are we not going to like this? That story for him somehow managed to be like not even a 48 hour news cycle um, because very few in the and our legacy mainstream political media um, felt it was an issue, I guess, that deserved coverage. You know why I think? I think because most people get Pierre off the hook on that because nobody believes that Pierre Polyev, the human, is the one actually uploading his YouTube videos and typing sure. in all the hashtags. For sure, for sure. Right? I don't think anybody, yeah, I, I certainly don't think that either, right? Um, but we need to know why they thought it was a viable strategy. And we we know why, about you know why. Of course I know why, but we should be, but, but it, I know why, but does your average person know why? I don't know if your average person knows why. And I think just because it's obvious to you or I, a lot of things are fucking obvious to me that we still talk about in the news day in, day out all the fucking time. Right. I don't know. And it's like, we, 
What? Sorry. <laughs> it's just you, you just you throw bullseyes. What can I say? Yeah, you know, you well. toss bullseyes and, and we appreciate it. I think that this is going to blow up in the Ontario College's face. Um, I mean, I think that like and, and people are like, there's great. And I've, I'm not ignoring our live chat. There's really great comments in here that are true, that are accurate. Like Curtis says the professional regulating body should have the ability to regulate and discipline members according to the regulations and legislations that recognize them. A hundred percent true. And I'm not saying that the, the Ontario College, the what is it called? It's the College of Psychologists of Ontario. That's the official title. I'm not saying that they're necessarily wrong in in making the argument. I just think that they've they've picked a fight with a giant. I they're going to lose the fight. It's going to serve him well. It's like it's like in a oh I don't, I don't think they're going. I mean they'll lose the optics fight. They'll lose the PR fight. I guess because who is going to win a PR fight against Jordan Peterson? Right. But who Nobody but if is. Jordan Peterson is stripped of his credentials, who benefits who the most? Jordan Peterson benefits yeah, the most. Yeah, of course. Of course he, he does. doesn't but care. Like, but how does that blow up in their face? Then then he's no longer their problem either. Yeah, but right? if, if Pierre Poliev and others can make this about free speech and then the but, legacy But they that, shouldn't be able to, because it's not about free speech. And if and if we allow them to, then we in like positions of that have platforms have fucking failed because that's just factually wrong. I don't know. Look like, at with this. So you saw, I'm sure like there's a lot of angles to this, and I know it feels like we're jumping all over the map, but Rachel Gilmore and uh, you know, she's at She's obviously at Global. You wonder here, too. Can I just say this is an unpopular. This isn't a conversation that will make people uncomfortable. Global News, owned by Chorus, is a conservative entity. And you have to wonder how much longer Global's going to tolerate or appreciate one of their journalists, Rachel Gilmore, going toe-to-toe with Jordan Peterson. I think that this is something that people are going to want to pay attention to. I like Rachel. I think she does a great job. She puts up with a lot of shit in her job. But you wonder where this is going to go. She says, I'd like to see a fuller representation presentation of the tweets that got Jordan Peterson in trouble with the college. He replies back to her, which is basically calling out his dogs, right? He says, you obviously haven't been following the news well enough. She posts a tweet that he says was in jest. He says that this was a reference to a news story about child pornography. But then he goes after her and says, how much money has the Justin Trudeau government provided to subsidize your employer? And he links to a True North story, Candace Malcolm's outlet about Global News reportedly begging for money as it faces imminent collapse. My point in referencing this is it brings up what people remember about stories, whether or not they're accurate. The $600 sure. million dollars that the Trudeau liberals set aside to save what was local media outlets like grassroots, independent, small market newspaper outlets and the like. Not Chorus, not Global. You remember we were all brought in. Supriya. They sent us all emails when we used to work there saying this is how this is our response to people who allege we're receiving the Trudeau dollars because Chorus wasn't. CTV wasn't. The Globe and Mail. Yeah wasn't but there's jordan peterson digging it up again and all people are going to remember about this story six months from now is that ontario-based psychologists any of them affiliated or associated with or licensed by the college stand in the face of or defy or do not value freedom of speech and that's what's going to come out of this and i think but the reason why that's going to be the dominant narrative is because there's no counter narrative pointing out that that's not actually the case right who's the, that, that- going to come from it should be coming from mainstream journalists who fucking can do their job for once and point this shit out instead of both sidings everything into fucking absurdity, right? But we don't actually get that. I um, mean, this is and, and like so perfect example, the MGTOW stuff. Let's just, I know we're all over the place, whatever. But like it all is a common. We're, we're we're still on the highway. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're still on the highway. We're just veering left and right on. Yeah, the Yeah, but we're still we're still between the lines. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, so, look, Toronto, like, this, there was a horrific van attack here, okay? Um, and then there was, like, a few, a couple of years later, there was another horrific attack that was, insul- um, you know, inspired at a, at a spa in, 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 Nor- in North York. And, like, you know, MGTOWN was banned by um, Reddit and TikTok, um, not by YouTube, which is fine, but, like, we should be talking about that. This isn't just, you know, an innocuous thing of putting a tag on. Somebody within the party or with that was working for, for Pierre at the time did this and they knew what they were doing. Um, we need to ask if like conservatives think it's a viable strategy to be trying to target um, these types of folks. And if they think it's, you know, somewhat irresponsible to be bringing in a lot of U.S. culture war rhetoric to the Canadian, to the, to, to the four here in, in Canada. Um, and we don't talk about it because for the most part, the conservatives get the, um, you know, the automatic sort of framing as government in waiting um, because really it's only ever the liberals or the conservatives who are in contention to foreign government. Sorry, NDP. Um, maybe that'll change soon. Maybe not. I don't think um, so. Yeah, I don't think so either. But so, you know what I mean? Um, but we need to be talking about some of the more worrying elements, especially when we see what's happening literally all fucking around us. Everybody's anyway. cheering for you. Most people are anyway Sorry. in the live chat. There's parallel conversations in the live chat. Number one, how much of a rock star is Supriya? And number two, are my pillows actually that good? I will make you two promises. Number one, uh, Supriya and I will continue to bring you gutsy chat, including via Seriously, the podcast that's out every single Wednesday. You can Check it out at seriouslypod.com. And number two, Sapria, you will never have a MyPillow Real Talk promo code. <laughs> I make you that promise. Have a wonderful weekend, pal. You too, man. Okay, Bye. we'll see you later. Uh, speaking of other political parties, the other guys, it's our Real Talk Roundtable. It's kicking off in 90 seconds, presented by our good friends at Urban Timber. We want to remind you, if you're looking for something, maybe a piece in the new place, uh, maybe you to reinvent that family dining room experience, maybe it's a coffee table, an end table, maybe it's shelving, whatever it is, you have to check out Urban Timber Reclaimed Wood. You can see them online at urbantimber.com. They put together this remarkable table in our Real Talk studio. Plus, they did a ton of other fixtures in our new location that absolutely take our breath away. It's one of a kind every time with Urban Timber, including their beautiful boxcar selection. You can check this out. I mean, this collection, Urban Timber's reclaimed boxcar planks, literally off rail cars. I mean, some of them are like 100 years old. Of course, they restore them beautifully. They treat them with a a food-safe top so you can of course eat with confidence the family dinner table will never be the same once you grab yourself an urban timber box car table you can check them out online at urbantimber.ca a big shout out to our ukrainian friends and family members happy ukrainian christmas of course it continues through this week and then johnny will take down our trees we'll take down our trees on sunday but in the meantime our friends at friesen brothers want you to know that they've got a ukrainian christmas dinner going saturday and sunday night at all of their fresh market stores this is january 7th and 8th from 4 to 8 p.m and all you can eat ukrainian feasts for just 25 dollars per person including roasted turkey ukrainian sausage uh buhanina uh, cabbage rolls pierogies everything you would expect plus activities for the kids they can make their own ukrainian and Christmas stars. You can find all the details, including participating stores at Friesen. 
kubirenewable.com. At Kubi Renewable Energy, this is a perfect time to start considering solar when it comes to your own home, maybe your business, maybe your farm. The cost of electricity only expected to rise. So why not go to an option that's cleaner than fossil fuels? KubiEnergy.ca is where you can go to get your free quote today. And don't forget, with the average home solar panel system costing between twelve dollars and $25,000, the federal government announced a $40,000 interest-free loan to perform energy efficiency upgrades like installing solar panels. So if your install costs you fifteen grand, you have got an interest-free loan and up to 10 years to pay it off. You think you're not going to save that much off your electricity bill? It's a no-brainer. You can get in touch with Kubi today. Of course, they present positive reflections every Monday here on the show. Well, we've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. There's a lot of talk in Alberta's political circles, especially with an election looming about Danielle Smith, Alberta's premier and her United Conservative Party. Rachel Notley, Alberta's former premier, wants the keys to the office back, the leader of Alberta's NDP. But there's not just two political parties in the province. In fact, there's a whole bunch, and they're also comprised of members and volunteers and, and hopeful MLAs and party leaders who travel the province, knocking on doors, fundraising, trying to grab your attention. Our Real Talk Roundtable today meets the other guys, and it's a pleasure to welcome to the show Jeevan Mangat, who's the interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party, Barry Morishita, who's the leader of the Alberta Party, and Jordan Wilkie, who's the leader of the Green Party of Alberta. A welcome, a warm welcome to the three of you, and thanks for making time for us this morning. Uh, Jordan, in particular, hey, I, I want to give you a shout out uh, because my understanding is that you're playing a little bit hurt today. You're rallying today to be here with us. <laughs> what's the? I only have basic details, but but what's going on in your life right? Right now oh yeah i was just telling you i was actually supposed to be on duty today at the fire station but uh, i'm just dealing with a an injured back so i do appreciate uh being on the show and uh yeah i didn't want to get a, a call from the chief later saying hey what what, what are you up to here yeah what are you up but, to you're uh, supposed to be at the yeah, hall it's an honor to be here ryan thanks well, well hey listen i'm i'm grateful that all three of you are here i want to encourage you to treat this like we're out for coffees or beers feel free to, to step on each other's toes and to interrupt and, and to, to jump in and to challenge one another and and to speak freely it's what we're all about jordan why don't we start with you because because there you are the leader of the green party of alberta is it a do, do you encounter immediate objection i'm sure you got your supporters but do you encounter immediate objection as the leader of the greens in, in an energy focused province like Alberta? Yeah, there's an idea that uh, the Greens are a one-issue party. And of course, we have the name Green. So, I mean, I don't I don't see why anyone would think any differently unless they look a little closer. But when it comes down to it, uh, our focus is generally uh, we, we, we look at sy the systemic issues and we go from there. So when we talk about Green, we're talking about a lot of things. We have six different principles and a lot of people don't know that we're a global party. As far as, uh, you know, we we're helping run uh, in different countries. And so it's it's a bigger issue as far as uh, what we're all about. And the six principles speak to everything from participatory democracy and a stronger democracy, which is something that we're focused on in this next election, as well as the social justice issues and the eradication of poverty and what that does on a systemic issue uh, on a systemic level. And so, yeah, we're definitely a bigger party than just that. But yeah, we do get a lot of you know, uh, a pre preconceived notions of, of what we're speaking to. And uh, I'd like to 
show that the brand is a lot bigger than that. Yeah, well, we'll invite you to use that platform to do that uh, here today. Uh, Jivan, contained in the name of the party, the Wild Rose Independence Party, is Alberta's premier right now stealing a little bit of your thunder? Is, is, is she taking a chomp out of your platform with her talk about the, the Sovereignty Act? How is your party different than Daniel Smith's UCP? Well, uh, thank you for inviting uh, me on the show, Ryan. Looking forward to it. And uh, welcome to Gary and uh, Jordan as well. Uh, yes. So, you know, the UCP uh, certainly has is carrying our agenda. We were the first party to develop the, the independence policies uh, as well. And we uh, uh, have no fear that uh, the UCP is uh, carrying our uh, agenda, our principles, our ideas. The, our party is... Uh, focused on the independence movement to ensure that we are escaping the claws of Ottawa, as I always call it. And uh, the prosperity of Alberta should be in the hands of Albertans, not the federal government. As everybody knows, there's division of powers. We are a confederation. We're not a centric, central-powered nations. And... Uh, I've grown up in Alberta, and every time the Liberal Party has come to power, they have tried to, for some reason, try to destroy Alberta. This has to stop, and this is why it's led me and led a lot of others into the independence movement, which uh, I believe is the only way. And uh, certainly, uh, if UCP wishes to carry our message, uh, uh, this is this is a strong way, so be it. I want to clarify something. The, the the one difference there may be is that the full name of Bill 1 uh, that was tabled by the Conservatives uh, in this legislative session, Bill 1 was the, the, uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. That's probably something, just so I understand clearly, that's something you might push back on. You're not interested in the United Canada. You're interested in a sovereign, independent Alberta, correct? Correct. And the reason is, okay, fine, we can, if we achieve sovereignty within Canada, and let's suppose that the uh, federal conservatives get into power. And then after six, eight years, there's going to be another liberal government uh, trenching upon Alberta rights again, uh, trenching upon the prosperity of Alberta again. This has never stopped in the last 50 years. As you remember, started with the National Energy Program in 1970. Uh, we are the economic engine of Canada. We have the highest GDP of uh, any province in Canada. Uh, we provide a lot of jobs. We provide a lot of innovations. Uh, I just fail to understand why the Liberal government over and over fails uh, to encourage the development of uh, Alberta. You know, we, we've come a long ways. I'm, I don't know if uh, Barry, I don't know if uh, Jordan's going to like this or not, because Jordan, I don't know if I, I think it's actually too simplistic to refer to the Green Party as a left wing party because the, the Greens actually, at least federally speaking, have a lot of right wingers that, that make up the membership as well. So I'll go to you in a sec, but I want to go to Barry first. People, I think, perceive the Greens to be on the left side of the spectrum. They'll certainly perceive the Wild Rose Independence Party to be on the right side of the spectrum. Barry, where do you think the average Albertan understands or perceives the Alberta party to be? Well, you know, we're kind of in the middle. Uh, we certainly have people that you would say are to the left and certainly people that are to the right. But, you know, the, the definitions have become so convoluted. So, you know, I'm certainly a fiscal conservative. I would classify myself as somebody who's uh, 
responsible spender of money. That's been my background in the in municipal world where we had balanced budgets, so 16 balanced budgets. Uh, the province doesn't seem to be too interested in those, except when resource revenue goes up and then they say, look what we did, which is a fairly a distor- big distortion of the truth, as we all know. Um, but, but you know, we're ca- cared about the core things that government does, the important things that government does in health, education, social supports. Uh, that's, uh, I don't think those are left to right issues. I think those are human issues. And one other thing the Alberta party really wants to do is we want to disrupt the way government's been going. We've, we've had orange and blue for the last 10 years. And uh, who can say those systems are working well? I don't think too many people do say that. And so it's time to look for an alternative. And I think rather than put us on a spectrum somewhere, I think the Alberta party is a, is a viable alternative to what we've had for the last 10 years. So, you know, people are going to be expecting some bold policy uh, and, 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 a, and a really attention grabbing platform from the Alberta party. The, the whole point of this roundtable is for the three of you to, to, to make a little bit of noise here on a, on a, on a, to be honest, a public discourse that I think regrettably is, is solely focused on two parties and two platforms. So Barry, give us a, give us a taste, give us a tidbit. What's something where you're going to say, this is how we are opposite or very different from the the governing UCP and very different from the NDP? Well, first of all, I'll I'll take the carbon levy because we love to talk about it because we want it banned. The the courts have said we can't ban it. Uh, The the provincial government has abdicated its uh, authority to look after it um, on the residential basis. And, you know, what we would do is we repatriate the (laughs) carbon levy and then we'd get it back to people who need the money back. You know, we, we talk about affordability uh, here's a tool that uh, can be used tomorrow, uh, but neither neither party wants to do those kinds of things. When it comes to things like education, why aren't we giving students and teachers the resources they need in the classroom, the flexibility to fund those things? Um, but you know what you have to do to do these things? You have to give up control. You have to decentralize. You have to trust professionals to do their job. And clearly, uh, the last 10 years, these governments are involved uh, they like to centralize. They like to keep power in the hands of a very small few. They like to send their message out the way it is. And that's not what the Alberta party does. And it's certainly, I don't think, what Albertans are looking for. Um, I think they want MLAs that speak for their communities. And uh, they want that debate to be open, honest, and transparent. And it's about time we got back there. And uh, that's what I think we uh, we stand for, which is a lot different than what we've had the last 10 years. Yeah, Jordan, Ryan, um, let me just interject. Uh, the one of the intentions of the carbon tax was to uh, enforce or say to the public, oh, we need to uh, divert our energy resources from fossil fuels to this green energy and, and let's highly tax people. Taxation does not change behavior. What it does is high taxation forces a black market and people... When you tax them, I mean, I look at Europe and uh, other parts of Africa and South America. By taxation, what it does is it just drives the economy underground. And then the government loses those uh, revenues. Uh, this is why, uh, you know, when the conservatives get in power, they eliminated the carbon tax. That is not the answer. At the end, the private enterprise will develop a system of cleaner fuel. Given the fact that they are allowed to do it. We keep taxing industries to death. They move away. Nothing develops. This is why, as a Wildwoods Independence uh, member, we encourage prosperity in the private sector. And nowhere in the world, if there is not a strong private sector, there is not a strong public sector. Jordan, was I accurate 
and fair in where I place the Green Party of Alberta on the political spectrum? I'm curious to know how you'll respond. Yeah, I mean, I can echo uh, Barry a little bit when we talk about putting us into into these boxes. And really, the spectrum uh, is diverse. I mean, of course, fiscal conservatory, I mean, it's, it's fine. But I mean, if we think about the social issues, then yes, maybe we're further, further to the left. Um, right now, I think that the youth uh, and, and generally the, the, the population knows that when we divide each other into these left and right boxes, then we're not getting ahead at all. And so I would like to see a more unified approach to politics. I'd like we speak for proportional representation because right now all these parties are saying, uh, we're, we're the, you're the problem and we're the solution, but really you can be part of the problem, but you're never the full problem. You're never the full solution. And that's a lie. And so the parties that say that there's the solution are lying to the public. What we would like to see is proportional representation. And we would like to see a stronger democracy that represents the diverse views of Alberta. And we know that Alberta is a big, large province with many different uh, views that need to be represented. And so we can't get ahead and we can't get past this two party system uh, that is going that thinks that they can uh, take take a change. They can change government from one to the other and go back and forth. We need to see more collaboration and accountability within the legislature and without getting past this left, right BS. Uh, we'll never get, we're never going to get there. Let and ask- so, yes, there's there's lots of policy that is more left when we talk about the eradication of poverty, when we talk about strong public services, that uh, education is is a pu- strong public education is a is a human right, uh, that healthcare is a right. Uh, then, yes, it's more left. And then when we talk about the need for a diverse economy and the ability to um, own our resources and to uh, you know look to the future. Uh, instead of just dealing with the crumbs that are given to us now by the corporations, then, yeah, I mean, we have lots to talk about as far as what is left and and what is right. I'd be interested in your response to what Mr. Mangat had to say, specifically in the context of of uh, sustainable energy development, of, of private industry, of attracting investment, of of what higher taxes does with, with regards to corporations or, or in particular corporate HQs coming and going. I mean, I know this is the type of thing that we could have a five hour conversation about, but what do you make of what he just argued? Well, I think that conservatives like to say that uh, things like the, the the taxes are not going back to the people. Um, but when you, I think that the major issue here is that people don't trust the government, and they don't trust where the taxes are going. And generally, when you're subsidizing large large corporations and they're not collecting their fair share for the people, then of course uh, there's going to be a lot of distrust as to far as as to where the taxes are going. So you know I, I think that these things are getting blown out of proportion. Uh, the the polluter pays program is a rebate program. A lot of that goes back to the people, and it can go. I think that that it needs to be more transparent and accountable. And I think that that's the big problem. Yeah, one of our key policies, uh, Ryan, is not to subsidize that industries risk their capital and labor to offer a service or a product. That is a definition of an economy. When you have hundreds and thousands of people doing that, you have an economy. This is why we're, we're against subsidizing using taxpayers' dollars to subsidize companies that may become inefficient or are not needed. Uh, let the taxpayer money be used for education, healthcare, what we need, what the priorities will be. 
I want to uh, get into uh, our audience, obviously, an engaged audience, and they've got lots to say about this. And I want to make sure that we integrate some comments from our live chat into this. And and, and there was one in particular, uh, and I'm scrolling back to find it, but somebody basically said the assertion basically was like, I, w- I would love for uh, conservative parties. This is Jason that said this, Steve. And then I want to go to you, Barry, on this. He says, I sure wish conservative parties would awaken to the concept of you can fight Ottawa or you can win. Like, it's a choice. What would you say, Jivan, to Jason? Uh, our, our main target is Ottawa. They keep interfering in the business of Alberta. He knows that, but and he's suggesting this, that you can't win, yeah. that that's not a winning formula in Alberta, or it's not a winning formula anywhere in the country. Well, that may not be the winning formula right now. We acknowledge this is a long-term fight. This is a long-term battle. Starts with a small movement like ours. We may not win every seat in Alberta. We may only win two seats. But this is how change starts. We are for change. We're not for status quo. If we stay within Canada, nothing's going to change for Alberta. They will keep hampering us. Barry, where do you believe there's ground to gain in particular? I mean, I saw somebody leave a comment that, that basically said in between the Alberta NDP and the United Conservatives is the old PCAA. In other words, the progressive conservatives currently lie between the NDP and the United Conservatives. Now, 44 years of a political dynasty would suggest that there's a lot of votes. There's a lot of allegiance there. There's a lot of history there that a political party could really make some hay. Uh, what do you need to do to capitalize on the undecideds? We saw that abacus data earlier this week that suggests one in four Albertans, one in four are undecided right now with regards to where they're going to cast their ballot. What does that mean to a party leader like you? Well, well, I, you know, I, I think it's it's a really it's a big opportunity. I, I think the vast majority of Albertans don't want only uh, one approach to every problem, and that's that's what you get when you get the NDP. That's what you get when the UCP, and and actually, you can say the UCP. Sometimes you don't know what you get, to be quite honest with you. But the fact is, is that yeah, people are looking for something, and and I think one of the problems that uh, we've had, and it's a deterioration of politics generally, is that we haven't been able to have civil debate because that hasn't served the governing groups. You know, it's attack, it's fear, it's, you know, the world will come to an end if you elect the UCP, the, the world's going to fall apart if you elect the NDP. Uh, and, and we even hear a little bit of it here. I, you know, I, I don't agree with my uh, colleague from the Wild Rose that, you know, Ottawa uh, is in the way of everything. I don't think they are. I think Albertans and the leaders have used that uh, conversation to advance their own political uh, aspirations. Uh, they love picking fights with somebody that's not in the room. You know, you can disparage and beat up and uh, call names to somebody who's not there because it doesn't matter. Fact is, is that Alber- Alberta has abdicated its leadership uh, in the Confederation. I think our leaders have used the relationship to, to gain political advantage. You know, they try to attach a leader to one guy and uh, get aligned with the other person. Uh, it's just ridiculous because it doesn't serve Albertans. At the end of the day, Albertans want to be served. They want to know that health, education, and social services are there. They want to know that they have affordable taxes. They want to know they're getting value for money. And you can't do that when everything happens behind closed doors. And that's what's been happening for the last 10 years. Uh, why does a budget, for instance, need to be trans uh, so closed? Why does it have to be embargoed? Um, what happens in that document that's so scary for people uh, that they can't disclose it. And the reason is, is it's a political document and a, a budget should be an operational document. It should be deciding 
how we spend money, making sure we're doing it efficiency, making sure the priorities of the province are addressed properly so that we don't have kids in classrooms with 30 plus kids. We don't have kids that need ESL or special needs without an aid. Uh, that's the priorities Albertans want. And if it was done transparency, that would happen. But they turn it into a political document, just like everything else they do. And the time has come to end that. The Alberta party says, let's be open and honest with Albertans. Albertans are smart, articulate. They know what they want, uh, but they don't ever get the information. And, um, you know, it's time to change that. It really is. And I think Albertans want that. But we got to get off the fear train. And, uh, you know, the money that the UCP and the NDP spend on calling each other names and saying, oh, my God, if you let them in, the world will literally burn to the ground. We know that's not true, but they prey on that fear. And that's really disappointing from leadership that's supposed to be taking our province forward. Jordan, uh, and, and Ryan, Bill C-48 and C-69 doesn't serve Albertans. The fact that Ottawa is going to fund the, the EV manufacturing plants in Ontario and Quebec doesn't serve the Alberta or Albertans or the Alberta industry. Uh, you know, this, this is, this is as, as just thought, uh, that over and over, you know, that Ottawa keeps interfering in the prosperity of Alberta. This will never stop until we raise the flag, just as Quebec did. Quebec, uh, you know, they, you they know, Jack, had, why do we they, want to be like had, Quebec? Why do we want to be they, like Quebec? We have, they of have course the highest we want. taxes. They have no. the highest taxes. They have the most government interference. Is that what we really want? I think we Alberta want needs to Quebec, lead its own Quebec way. Quebec has. We want control over a we taxation. Have every, we can, we, we have want control, control over a police. We want control over right. a pension plan. Okay? At what cost? They, At the highest taxes in the country. No, that's, we have the lowest taxes in Alberta. No, we'll we will. That way. Do you know? Do you think you can we, set up we, your own we'll revenue keep it agency that way. for free? We don't need. We don't need higher taxes to have keep funding so, the RCMP to police. Uh, police Alberta. will come free. Okay. Collecting, having your own CRA, running your own pension plan, that all comes for free, right? It doesn't. It costs money. I've yes. seen the studies. And we're, all we're of those things cost money. Alberta funds as a as we have the youngest population more in CCP CPP than any other province. So, and what happens when we become it, older? We're just we're we're not. You know, the core issues what, are what, the issues. What that attracts want, younger so. people to Alberta? Very. What attracts younger people? To, why do we have well, the youngest does, population? Absolutely. Yeah. But and I how, also know younger how people is are opportunity, leaving Alberta. How is opportunity created? Okay, well, this is going back and forth. Yeah, let me, just let me let that resonate. But Jordan, I want to ask you, uh, go, you go ahead and speak freely. And then I got a question for you. Yeah, I'm just thinking you guys are talking about what, what the costs are. Meanwhile, we have $9.5 billion. What is that? That's the cost of poverty in our society. So while we're arguing about these scraps and about Ottawa and Quebec and why aren't we like this? Why aren't we like that? We have a $13 billion surplus and we are allowing poverty. We're allowing one out of six children to live in poverty in this province. It is not acceptable. And so when we look at policing, you brought up policing. When we look at healthcare, when we look at education, we have to look at the, the systemic issues for once, please. Let's look at poverty. Let's look at a universal basic income, which would allow people to get out of poverty at a basic level, dignity in their lives. How about housing first programs with the Finnish model saves $21,000 per person just to house them. It is cheaper to leave people, it, they, they think it, it's cheaper to leave people, to put people out of poverty, right? And I don't think that people understand that. When we look at the numbers, $9.5 billion to keep poverty, can we afford that? 
How about crime? When we had CERB in place, and CERB wasn't perfect, and it was definitely not a universal basic income, we had, we had crime drop by 20%, 30%, petty crime gone. You're talking about provincial police force and spending more money? What about affordable housing? What about mental health? What about a universal basic m- mental health, a universal mental health that care that is desperately needed by Albertans? So I'm getting a little bit passionate here because you guys are talking about the crumbs when people are dying on the streets. And maybe you don't see that. Maybe you're not out on the streets like, my, like myself and my colleagues where we're frontline workers when we're pulling dead bodies out of tents, right? Because this is the things that we need to look at. How can we say, say that we're a progressive society when we're allowing this? in our backyards and we're putting the blinders on towards our fellow men and women and people in our society that we are supposed to be protecting. Jordan. And so I think that we need to move ahead on some of these issues. And I think that that can't happen in a two-party system. And it certainly can't happen without third-party representation and proportional representation. And if we move towards that, if people can see that we need to have the accountability and transparency and the diverse voices represented in our community, into the legislature, then I think that we can come forward and we can move ahead on a lot of these issues. You're talking about essentially electoral reform, right? You're talking about proportional representation. It's not unprecedented. Which we had in this province for 30 years. I was just going to say, so for the average layperson, for the average person that'll hear this podcast or that'll watch this on YouTube that doesn't necessarily dive into the history books all the time, Jordan, give us the Coles notes. Give us the elevator pitch on something that the Green Party of Alberta would like to see with regards to proportional representation. What's the pitch to the average Albertan? Imagine your vote mattered. Imagine you didn't have to vote against someone because you were so scared and you're playing that fear game that we were talking about earlier. How about we vote for our values? That's proportional representation. When 40% of the vote equates to 40% of the seats, that would be what would have happened under proportional representation with the Notley government. Instead, you have a non-majority getting elected into a majority government. And so when you have a proportional system, basically your vote matters and that percentage is the seats in the legislature. Yes, it opens up to third parties, to fourth parties. And I think that the diverse representation needs to happen because then you start voting for what you want, not against what you don't want. And so that's proportional representation. And we had that in this province for 30 years and it was destroyed. Why? Because it's easier to keep power under the first past the post system, which is what we have now. And so I know that uh, that the Alberta Party just passed policy on proportional representation. Uh, we have strong policy on proportional representation. And I think it's really the litmus test of whether you want to represent the people of this province or not. And it's that basic. Do you want to have diverse voices in the working together and collaborative? Do you want to have accountability? Do you want to have transparency in the legislature? Well, that's proportional representation. And there are different forms of that. And we can get into that later. But we've also talked about citizens' assembly and the need for uh, more direct democracy in our in our in our lives and in our in our government uh, because people don't trust the the current system and why don't they trust it is because like Barry said we're locked out of uh, of these working documents we're locked out of the conversation and then we have to guess where the money went where did our money go so we fund the government yet our votes don't matter is that okay with Albertans? It's not okay with me, and it's not okay with the Green Party of Alberta. Emma says, uh, this is so frustrating that my vote doesn't mean a thing. 
in the next provincial Absolutely. election because yeah. I don't live in a swing riding in Calgary. Jivon, am I safe to assume that all three? I mean, well, you don't speak for all three, but am I safe to assume that that you would support this idea as well? I mean, I mean, you know, the the the, the I don't want to call them fringe parties. That's it's a derogatory. I think it's perceived to be derogatory, but we're calling you guys the. Uh, we hummed and hawed over what we should call the roundtable, and, and we and we thought the, the other guys. We, we thought the reference to the Mark Wahlberg movie, the other guys, was a good one. But is that something that your party would support as well, Jivan? It, it's 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 very interesting to hear the the arguments for proportional representation. Uh, I think it should be explored more. There's nothing wrong with. Uh, exploring it, learning from it, and see how best uh, democracy can be represented. Uh, we don't exclude any good ideas. Right. And it's not hypothetical. I mean, this is happening all across developed democracies across the world and regions. We had it in Alberta. Um, it definitely is a categorical su success in Alberta in regards to a more proportional representation within the legislature. So when you want your voice to matter, this is the things that we need to talk about. And people think that we just have these two options, uh, the yeah. UCP, the NDP, but we need to see that there's an other options out there and there's a better way to do these things. We don't need to have poverty. We don't. We have enough surplus to, to deal with it. We don't need to, to, to squander our education. Our youth are suffering. We need to ensure that our health care is properly supported. We have built our infrastructure and our, and our public services on generations of hardworking Albertans. And we're going to squander that. We're going to allow that to fail. And it shouldn't be on any of our watches. We should all come together, and yeah. I think that we need to be more accountable to the people of Alberta. So, so, so Ryan, opportunity, opportunity, uh, as opportunities rise, people have employment. Generally, you will see poverty decrease. But that doesn't. Uh, yeah, that's you know, kind of the trickle down idea, though, Jivan, isn't it? The that's you the have trickle to be down a, idea. You have to be proactive, Jivan. We have we have an opioid crisis where we only take one direct route to. We think it's the end all to be all, and it's not. Uh, there's professionals out there that know how to deal with this. We don't empower them to do the job. You know, you talk about empowering companies. What about in talk empowering the social infrastructure that, that could be uh, operating in Alberta that could save people from dying? You know, we, we can't take one approach to everything. I think you just said that, you know, there, that there's no one has a monopoly on good ideas. I think we have to open our minds to that. And, I, and Ryan, just on a proportional representation and better governance model, you know, you should be asking Rachel Notley and, and uh, Danielle Smith why they don't support uh, uh, electoral reform. Well, it's so obvious, right? Why. It's yeah. obvious. Yeah, yeah. Very but, obvious. but the fact is they never get asked those questions, right? They get to <laughs> sure. kind of go on their merry way about, you know, uh, the NDP is going to wreck things, the UCP is going to wreck things. They don't get, we don't hear the other conversations. Uh, the conversations that are happening outside of those two parties that where people are talking about good policy, where they're talking about breaking the system down, disrupting what's going on because we know it's not working. Uh, but, uh, you know, we see the political talk all the time. So I think that, you know, when you when you listen to um, these other guys and hopefully someday there'll be there'll be some other girls in here. We'd like to see that, too, as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, electoral reform would allow good ideas to come from anywhere. They would allow uh, reforms to happen at a level. They'd allow collaboration uh, in a way to happen governance wise. It happens at, say, municipalities, you know. No one paints themselves uh, to start with. Uh, sometimes they do that at their own risk, to be honest, in electoral uh, outcomes when it comes to municipal campaigns. And, you know, you get a group of people, a 7, 15, whatever, 
uh, they get together and just solve problems. And uh, no one thinks about painting themselves in a certain color. Sure, we want to have electoral success in order uh, to be able to do the job. But first, we want to do the job. You know, the reason I'm with the Alberta Party, and I got asked to run by the UCP and the NDP uh, to be the MLA, and that's exactly how they put it. You, you know, you, you should be the MLA. You should run for us. No, what I should be doing is being the MLA for my constituency. And that's part of all of this reform. Uh, our, our, constitu our constituents and the residents of Alberta need and should have better representation when it comes to their issues. And I think uh, changing up the system would go a long ways to doing that properly. Uh, and, and one of the ways to have better representation, Barry, to carry that further, is to allow MLAs to have free votes. Yeah, and, we're and no, usually, we don't whip votes. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't whip votes. And this is in our policy as well. What's happening in uh, the federal government and all the uh, provincial governments, you just have one dictator in power and, you know, you better get it, you better be whipped into supporting them. Uh, free boards yeah. have to be allowed to represent your constituents. That's what it's all about. Bad, but you know, like this, can we all call BS on the idea, though, that parties don't whip votes? Parties will say this is a free vote, but you know if you vote against leader, you know you're going to pay the price, whether it's a free vote or not. I've never yep. really bought that. But then how, right, do in learn, the, in how do you grow? In the right, current system, Ryan, that's exactly how it is. It yeah. does not have to be that way. I have had people vote against me when I've been the mayor or the president and I don't shove them aside, that's because the attitude is everybody should have that opportunity. The way it works now, though, the way it's designed, the way it's built by the two parties we have in power and the federal, it happens at the federal level as well, is that silence is golden, right? Don't say anything that'll upset anybody. But the fact is to, you know, Jordan's point, we don't get to hear what's going on then. We mm. don't. Absolutely. We're just spoon-fed the outcome. Um, that's not good enough for us. It's, it's got to change and it can change. It's messy and that's okay. But, but it can be better. Uh, and generally, we don't have a choice anymore. I mean, when we when the voters are going to the ballot, they're really when you don't when you have the whipping, you're voting for just this the leader and you're voting for the party. But where's representation? What happened to democratic representation? And so as the, you know, the Greens are very focused on that where we also do not whip votes. And that's super important. And I think it does work, uh, Ryan, to your point. Uh, we have Greens in the in in the, the House of Commons uh, voting against one another, and some people snicker at that. But I think that that is the way it should be. I think that we need to understand that that the constituents come first, and that we're actually here to represent the people in our riding, uh, not to tow party lines. Sure, uh, these hyperpartisan uh, agendas have to end. I don't want to take. I'm not taking a swipe at you, Jordan. Please don't perceive this as a swipe. But I also feel like the federal Greens are in absolute disarray right now. The party is an absolute mess. Would you agree? I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to insult you, but I don't think that it's exactly a shining example of the way a party ought to operate right now. Yeah, but the the Greens are more than that. The Greens are an international sure. party. They're the only ones, right? And so they're the official opposition in PEI. They vote against one another, right? The, it, so the Greens have a long history of doing what's what's right as in regard to representing the constituents that voted them in right and so th that's important that we don't lose that and we it seems that we have lost that in alberta politics
Uh, one of the things I try to be aware of as a host here is is the value of your time, gentlemen. But don't worry, Jivan. Don't worry. Uh, but we're, we are we are quite a bit past the, the, the commitment that we asked the three of you for, though I'm getting the sense that you wouldn't mind sticking around a little bit into overtime. This is a great. Sometimes we're just getting our momentum. We're just getting it going. Uh, we can all speak again. I guarantee you that. But before we do, I don't want the, I don't want the, the conclusion of this to sneak up on anybody. So I want to give each of you the conch for, you know, 30 to 60 seconds to, to, to make sure that we don't leave an important point uh, without being addressed. And so, Jivan, you were just about to speak. So we'll consider this, so to speak, for now, your closing statement. What do you want people to hear now that you've got now that you've got the mic? Well, you know what? Our uh, our principles are always to fight for independence and to ensure that government is smaller. We allow private sector to grow because that's how Alberta was built. If you read the book called Alberta Titans, great stories about individuals coming in with just a dollar in their pocket and how these major companies came into being. Businesses developed jobs. At the same time, I must say that we are labeled as uh, economic fighters. But in my, I've, I've fought two campaigns as a Wild Rose candidate. In my literature, I always had say that we owe a duty of care to others. So that means supporting the most vulnerable ones in our society, supporting people with physical and intellectual disabilities. And I appreciate the time you gave uh, Ryan. And uh, I must say it's always uh, enticing and very, uh, I would say heartfelt, in uh, interesting to, to, to talk to Barry and hear Jordan's uh, viewpoints as well. We are not fearful of hearing opposing views. That's how we learn and that's how we grow. I agree with you deeply and I appreciate your availability. Jordan. Yeah, we need to have collaboration in this legislature and that will not happen without having the other guys or, you know, some third party working towards a coalition government. So when we look at proactive solutions, we have to look at the actual root causes, not the symptoms. So let's not treat the symptoms anymore. Let's go towards the root problems. And that's poverty. We need guaranteed jobs. We need strong transportation networks that allow access for people that are cut off uh, from others in this province. We need strong public services. We need to make sure we have a safe and secure communities that are working together above corporate gains for public interests. The people come first, people over profit. And this, these proactive solutions, we cannot have these, these, these reactive scrambles. And we saw that during the pandemic. Uh, and we see that when, when uh, the, the oil drops and we're back to a boom and bust economy, uh, we definitely need to have sustainability on a level that is going to serve Albertans, not just today, but in the future. Good stuff. Barry, last word to you. So, you know, I think it's time to disrupt the system. Uh, I, I, I think people, Albertans want to be part of it, and that's what the Alberta Party's talking about. So, so we're asking people to join the movement, to, to provide an opportunity for another option when it comes to government. You know, if you're in the disability community, you're a teacher, you're a healthcare worker, if you want to actually become part of the governance, uh, think about looking at uh, 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 the Alberta Party, because we want you to be part of the decision-making process. You don't have to join us tomorrow, you don't have to buy a membership, but we're, we're going to, uh, you know, thoughtfully engage with you and that's how we're going to affect change. We can't stand by and just cast a ballot for uh, what we have, the left and the right, out of fear. We need to vote for stuff we believe in. And the best way to have, have stuff to believe in is to be part of it, um, however you can be, by providing input into conversations about uh, attending town halls, about doing those kinds of things. 
so that you can become re-engaged. The, the, one of the real disservices that the two parties that system we have in Alberta right now is that, you know, they almost discourage uh, their opposition to, to be part of the process. If somebody doesn't like what they say, they just assume not hear from them, yeah. not have them vote. And that's really discouraging the Alberta party. And, and I think even all, all three of us would rather see 100% participation and that you get good representation uh, to provide good governance. And, you know, that's what we're here for. Uh, I think principles uh, over politics for all three of us. And I think I, I've, I've had the opportunity to talk to these gentlemen before, but I think that's it. I think what Albertans want, they want principles over politics. And I think you can get that if you vote for another option in uh, May of 2023. I just hope, and, and, and it shouldn't be this hard, uh, and I'm not campaigning for any of you. I'm not campaigning for any of you, but it shouldn't be this hard to get people to care about principle over politics, to get people to care about proportional representation. I don't have to tell the three of you I know that sometimes that is that is yeoman's work. Uh, that was Barry Morishita, leader of the Alberta Party. Uh, that was Jordan Wilkie, leader of the Green Party of Alberta. Uh, nursing a sore back. Uh, we sure appreciate you making yourself available. And thanks for your frontline services you. as, as a first responder. Jivan Mangat, leader, uh, interim leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party. It's nice to see your face as well. To the three of you, have a great weekend. We'll talk again. Thanks, Thank Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, you got it. Uh, that's the other guys. Our Real Talk Roundtable presented by our wonderful friends at Urban Now that's Timber. a roundtable. That's a great roundtable. Urban Timber, I'll say it again because I talked over you. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's, that. No, you don't. No, you don't. I was, I was actually noticing. I was looking over. By the way, sorry, I owe you a sandwich. Uh, my phone ringing in the middle of a podcast. Yeah, once that a is, month. Uh, that that's, a, that's a bit of a rookie move on my part. <laughs> um, but uh, I should have my ringer off. But, but I digress. So I owe you lunch. Mm. Uh, what did you make of what you heard? I just, I, I, and this isn't a shot at Jordan, but I think he'd be more successful in another party. Like, he's saying the right things here. And this isn't a shot at Jivon either. But, like, when Jordan say, like, Alberta, we've got this surplus. We've got, you know, always in the top two for GDP, for income. And there's people here suffering. Yeah, We've got homeless. We've got mental health issues. we got poor transportation. We can't figure that out. Like, we should, we should. Alberta should have the best of all these things. Can I say something and unpopular, when Jivon, maybe, though? When Jivon talked about, you know, we need to privatize our police, that's just things I'm just like, man. Well, he's not saying privatize, but he wants to see, same as what Danielle Smith wants to see, same as what Jason Kenney wanted to see, is an Alberta provincial police sure, force. Sure, and I agreed with some things Jivon said, but I'm just saying, I think Jordan hit the nail on the head when he said, like, we, we've got all these great things, low sales tax, all these things. Yeah, we no sales be, We tax, should be the yeah. healthiest... We should be the healthiest, mentally fit, lowest homeless population in sure, Canada. Sure. And I mean, and here's the unpopular reality as well, is that Alberta has a surplus now. Now we do. Well, what, we, we, we didn't before, we, yeah. and we probably won't again in future. But, like, th this is the bumper sticker that everybody always jokes about. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Lord grant us one more boom, and we promise not to piss <laughs> it away. But $12 billion is nothing It's a lot. $13 billion is a lot, yeah. especially when the, the, the forecasted or projected surplus was $500 million, and it ends up being 26 times That's what crazy. the government thought it was going to be. But we had this debate on the show, and we talked about it on the show, and we got expert voices, and audience members sent us emails on what would you do with the 13 billion and a lot of people very practically and responsibly said 
we should pay down our debt. And a lot of other people very practically and responsibly said we should give nurses and teachers a raise. And other people, you get it, practically and responsibly said we should fund mental health. We should fund supervised consumption mm-hmm. services and harm reduction. Mm-hmm. We should fund school lunch programs. We should fund uh, you know, shelters and, 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 and different stages. It's not just emergency shelters. I mean, I could go off on this for an hour. We always talk about emergency shelters. It's about more than that. Emergency shelters are a, a very important service mm-hmm. and resource, but they're a band-aid. They're like, what do we do right now? I saw somebody and I think it was Sharon maybe in the live chat said, we've got to be more proactive, not reactive, right? Bradley Martin, doctor out of Hinton, love hearing from him, says, mm-hmm. but that's just it, Jesperson. He says, with this surplus, we get the infrastructure to support housing people and building up primary care, which in the long run will save money. I don't disagree. I'm not going to argue with the doctor either. He's way smarter than me. You know, Mark Doran, Mark's done Incredible work. Talk about heavy lifting with regards to accountability in the energy industry and, and, and orphan wells and cleanup. And, and Mark, I love when he chimes in. He says, we got to raise royalties just a bit and we're awash in public dollars. It's simple. We'll still have the world's lowest royalties. He says 13 billion is chicken feed. You look at who's paid the price. You look at Ed Stelmack paid them a royalty review. Rachel Notley conducted a royalty review. People lost their minds. It's like people don't want the province to get the best possible deal because they think they're going to chase away investment. You know who else they used to say if they represented a different party, they'd see more electoral success? People say that about Rachel Notley. Yeah. People used to say Rachel Notley, if she was with the conservatives, she'd be premier forever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not her gig, though. It's probably not Jordan's gig. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the conviction. I appreciate the three of them, uh, Jivat and Barry and Jordan. By the way, I didn't mention this in, in the introduction. You, you, you know what uh, Jivan Mangat and Barry Morishita have in common? I mean, maybe a few things, but one thing they have in common, they both ran against Danielle Smith in the Brooks Medicine Hat by-election. Oh, yeah, that's right. In the by-election that saw Danielle Smith win her way into the Alberta legislature, Mm -hmm. win her seat, Uh, Barry Morishita and Jeevan Mangat both ran in that, and and we'll credit Dave Berta, Dave Cornway, who does a great job covering Alberta politics on his blog, DaveBerta.ca, reporting those results. This was at the time that 75 of 76 polls reported, so the numbers may have changed just a little bit, but you saw Danielle Smith winning that by-election with about 56% of the vote, Barry Morishita finishing third uh, with 18%, and Jeevan Mangat with the Wild Rose Independence Party uh, with about a half a percent there. So he's got his work cut out for him with regards to getting that. I, I, I led on purpose with the question if he believes that Danielle Smith is eating his lunch <laughs> with the Sovereignty Act because mm-hmm. once you lose that, then what else do you have? Yeah. You, you'd almost have to campaign that you know the Wild Rose Independence Party that that the that the United Conservative Party is not committed enough. It's not all in. It hasn't jumped into the deep end of the pool on sovereignty, mm-hmm. and and they they would have to promise to take it further, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Greens, I suppose that Jordan's challenge probably, and again, I'm dumbing it down and oversimplifying it, and strategists would roll their eyes, but but the Green Party's pitch would have to be to those uh, with 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 social justice as a predominant driving factor in their vote mm-hmm. that Rachel Notley's NDP has not gone far enough on things like income equality, on supports for the marginalized, on mental health, on harm reduction, on mm-hmm. on homelessness, 
uh, and that would have to be the pitch, I think, if they want to see somebody elected. Getting an MLA elected for any of these three parties would be huge. Yeah, it's. I just like Green Party, just change your name. That would be the first. I think that's what just people just don't listen when they hear Green Party. Right? It's like but the Alberta like, Liberal Party. Listen to Jordan. He's got great ideas. He's a compelling guy. Like, He's a compelling speaker. Yeah. And he comes from a point of great conviction. Uh, of course, that roundtable presented by our friends at Urban Timber, these conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at Park Power. Uh, they know. They're not going to hide it. They know you're paying a little bit more right now for utilities than you do in the summer months. I mean, that's just part of living in a, in a, in a country like Canada where the days get a little bit shorter. The nights get longer. We run our lights more. And then, of course, we heat our homes more than we have to. Otherwise, it means more natural gas, more electricity consumption. So why not make a move to keep a little bit more money in your pocket with Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider? You know, it's a great time to shop around for utility providers. Why not this weekend take two minutes at parkpower.ca? If you're on the regulated rate or the variable rate for electricity, uh, Park Power guarantees you're paying more than you have to. They've got their current fixed electricity rate plan. It's almost half the cost of the regulated rate option. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to fear about being locked into a contract when you choose that fixed rate plan. Customers with Park Power can switch rates or cancel anytime for free. That's how confident they are. You're going to love doing business with Park Power. At Apex Automation, they are attracting Canada's most skilled professional engineers. Literally, talented professional engineers are moving from across the country and beyond to work for Apex. Why? Because of the value that they put on their people. They prioritize quality service for clients as well. And they culture. When it comes to their approach for their team culture, it is people over profit. They invest in things like games rooms in their offices, professional developments for their team members, individual offices for team members who opt for that instead of the open workspaces. And of course, Johnny, we know things like great Christmas parties. <laughs> they reinvest in their team at Apex Automation. If you're looking to make a move as a professional engineer, take two seconds today to check out the career links, the open positions at apexautomation.ca. And if your spring and summer is going to involve an outdoor space brought to life, an uninspired front or backyard that finally, finally looks like it could, that reaches its potential with something like, I don't know, a water feature or an outdoor kitchen, maybe some stunning stonework, or maybe some of those native grass installations, like people are attracting pollinators, bees, really getting back to a sustainable approach to landscape design. Go with the best at Eden Landscaping. You can get in touch with Mike and his team today. Browse their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Somebody said they said change it to the weed party. That would help. The weed party? <laughs> Instead of the green party? Yeah. I don't think my wife would mind me saying, like, she votes for she votes green all the time. Yeah. That she has for years. And she she it's not that she agrees with everything they say, but she just wants to see representation. She wants to see more. Yeah. I think that's what Barry said. You know, it's a two party. You know, one of the things here, I think so. that Jordan did, I was intrigued by. I didn't know. You never know what position a, a, a guest is going to take on a roundtable. You can speculate. You can prognosticate. But I, I, I figure that Jordan would be talking quite a bit about environmental protection. Same. Obviously, that's a big priority, but he didn't really. No. 
He talked about things like social justice. He talked about it. He, he flirted. He flirted with getting into a universal basic income. He talked about housing supports. He talked about children in poverty. One in six kids he talked about. I mean, I thought that was that was kind of an intriguing note. He no doubt came in with a game plan. Yeah. All three of them did. And that was where he wanted but his message to resonate. It was great. And, you know, erasing homelessness the most we can, better transport, like all these things pay for themselves in time. Yeah. <laughs> they, they put money back into the economy when you fix things like that. So, yeah, I love Jordan. I'm, I'm Did Jordan a, win? Is that what we're saying? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know that anybody won or lost. I'm trying to find that the, there is a lot of people a, on the chat. Like it is Jordan. still currently a party. I'm just I'm just doing some uh, like some live research here on the fly. But the the marijuana part, they don't even really use that word anymore. People, oh, the- people prefer <laughs> cannabis. But but uh, I'm just going on Wikipedia. So take it for what it's worth. But the the marijuana party is a Canadian federal political party. Um, and, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it appears to be still a party founded in 2000. Um, and, uh, they do currently have a leader. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. The marijuana party of Canada leader, Mark, uh, or Blair Longley rather. We should get Blair Longley on the show. (laughs) That'd be great. Well, now that pot's legalized in Canada, is there even, uh, is there even a point or a purpose to the marijuana party? No. I mean, we can throw a marijuana party. I know it'd be it'd be like you starting a I don't know an old fashioned party. An old fashioned easy, <laughs> easy there, bud. Although it is Friday, and we are looking for some high octane IPA fuel party because every Friday, thanks to our friends at Local Environmental Services, uh, Local Environmental, such a great partner of Real Talk since inception, the, from the very first week that we did this show, they've been here funding, uh, making available, and presenting a weekly tradition we call trash talk oh yeah that's right this didn't necessarily come in the form of an email as a matter of fact i ripped this from the live chat today so it not officially submitted as a trash talk but it resonated with me and i loved it this from erica who says all right this round table today may not agree on much but can we all agree people that say fry yay instead of friday are the absolute worst Yeah, Erica, I agree. But it's even better, though. It's better than the people who talk about a case of the Mondays, isn't it, John? I mean, those people are the worst. Uh. And I love this one from Johnny, not Hicks. But from Johnny K, a real talker who sent this into talk at ryanjesperson.com after hearing our conversation on Taylor Swift and fat phobia earlier this week. Johnny says, Jespo, regarding your guests this week and their fat activism, let me say it's commendable to fight for a cause and to fight for something you believe in. But I believe that their passion on this subject is somewhat misplaced. He says, I bust my ass at the gym and I stay in shape for my own personal reasons. I love the physical challenge of it. It keeps me feeling young and strong. And with my family's medical history, it's a no brainer. But according to your guests, by staying thin and in shape, I'm part of the problem that perpetuates the racist, classist, ableist, thin, white, privileged body type. I sensed a lot of bitterness and envy boiling underneath the surface of their activism. Uh, Jespo here, they did touch on that. They did address that. Back to Johnny's email. He says, I I sincerely wish and I hope that everybody feels comfortable and loves their body. No matter what shape or size or color it is, I would never, ever shame anybody's body. Period. And if I saw somebody being bullied or fat shamed, I would stand up for them in a heartbeat. If you're fat, great, be fat. It has nothing to do with me. But simply accepting people has become not enough these days. Make your own choices. Live your own life. Stop demanding other people actively endorse and celebrate your choices while you criticize ours. He signs up 
unapologetically in shape, John. Thanks for that, John. Agree or disagree, you can participate in Trash Talk through the week by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That real talk trash talk presented by Local Environmental Services. Coming up next week, we've got some barn burner interviews. Plus, we're going to sit down in studio with two Edmontonians on their way to Ukraine to administer combat training for police and firefighters. Should be fascinating stuff. Make it a great weekend. Check out RyanJesperson.com. Subscribe to our newsletter so you receive our free Sunday message. That's the email that gives you the inside scoop on all things Real Talk. Thanks for checking out the show. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.